Well, you can grab a seat. Uh, and good morning. Uh, my name is Jacob Smith, and, and I am our college teaching director here at Anderson. Normally, uh, I'm across the street with students, uh, and next week, actually, I'll be back. Students will be back, uh, so I'll be over there, uh, and uh, you need to eat at the restaurants. You've been wanting to try. Okay, really, students are coming back in like 10 days, so, you know, go eat at Roadhouse and dance in the middle of George Bush Drive. I don't know, like, go enjoy, enjoy the, the, the quietness of our town, uh, because this is about to get nuts. It's about to get awesome, but it's crazy. So, uh, man, I, I'm so grateful to be here with you. I, I'm always grateful to come across the street and, and spend some time with y'all. Uh, I am really excited for this week because uh, my wife and I actually are celebrating uh, seven years of marriage tomorrow. Tomorrow's our anniversary, and we are really, man, we're pumped. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's what I am in here all the time, because uh, it's, it's great. And I'll say that Susan, my wife, she's She's incredible. She's been an incredible uh, companion, an incredible wife. She's been an incredible mother to our daughter, who's two, our son, who's going to be born in about a month. Uh, and man, I, I will say that she is uh, my, my favorite person. She is my absolute best friend. Um, however, <laughs> right behind her, okay, just like right behind her on, on the favorite scale uh, is a guy by the name of Benjamin Biles. Uh, and Ben Biles and I have been friends, we've been best friends uh, for a quarter of a century, all right? 25 years. It began when we were in uh, preschool. Uh, we were in K-4 and we, began, we became carpool buddies because uh, we lived in the same neighborhood. And so uh, our, our, our relationship was formed around, you know, manly stuff like Star Wars and Ninja Turtles because uh, we were men. And so as we were bonding uh, over those things, and as we were kind of learning that we, you know, we wanted to, you know, continue in life together, we were just, we, it was just so awesome to be friends and play together and go to school together. Uh, eventually, uh, we had to run into conflict, right? It was inevitable. I was a Native American. He was a pilgrim. Uh, conflict conflict was inevitable. Uh, and thankfully, uh, I actually have some historical documentation, uh, my diary, uh, from when I was in elementary school. And I actually recorded one such conflict. Uh, so on November 12th of 1996, Jacob is eight. And Jacob wrote, I got a new watch yesterday. It's really cool. I told Megan I liked her. Uh, I'm not sure she likes me anymore. I don't think she ever did, uh, by the way, in hindsight. Third grade is boring. I know everything there is to know. I sit by Wayne. He's okay. Ben, ben and I got in a fight. Okay, here it is. Ben and I got in a fight yesterday, but I still like him. Dot, dot, dot. Sorta. <laughs> I'm better at drawing. The end. That was the day of, the, that, was the of that entry. You know, I, I love Benjamin Biles. Uh, he's my brother from another mother. Uh, I, I, I love him dearly. And yet, I know that on that day, on that dark, dark day in November of 1996, my love... It almost reached a limit, right? We had had this conflict in my backyard about who was making which mud pie, and we got into a fight. And there was a moment where I thought, I don't know, maybe that's it. 
maybe this is the end. And the reality is that, I mean, all of us, we're people who love with limits, right? We've loved a friend until we didn't. Until something happened or something was said or a move occurred and we didn't really love that person the same way. We, we've been or we've seen spouses who loved each other until they didn't. And maybe it was a love that could be rekindled. Maybe it wasn't. But we've been or we've seen people that loved a career or an occupation or an activity or a pursuit. Uh, someone who loved uh, a lifestyle or an organization until something happens and we don't love it anymore. Or we've seen that love stop. We've all been people who have loved the decisions we make in life until we didn't. Until we realized that that was a mistake or that thing took us a turn or that we didn't want to go. Or we realized, man, there, there are things that I've loved and I've held close that now I don't. And the reality is that all of us, all of us are people who have experienced or extended love that either changes direction or it lacks duration. And the thing about that is it's, it's true of all of us, right? We are all people who love with limits, but our God is different. But our God's love is radically different. See, while our love, I mean, it, it can be exciting, our God's love, it's, it's compelling. Our love can create an impression, but our God's love, it creates an invitation. Our love, it, it, it can form memories, but our God's love, I mean, it forms a movement. Why? Because our God loves without limits. Because our God loves without limits. And this morning, we're looking at John chapter 15. And we're looking in that passage, looking in that chapter, because we're going to try to understand, I mean, what does that love entail? How does that love play out? How can we as God's people experience his love and extend his love in the same way that he does without limits? So as you're turning to John 15, I'm going to read briefly from John 13, uh, because essentially it's, it's one big conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples, with his followers, with his people. And so he starts in John 13, basically setting up where we're going to get to in 15, when he tells his people, he says, look, I'm going to give you a new commandment. Right, these are people that are on board with his mission. These are people that are following him or are living life alongside of him, that are listening to his commands. And so he says, look, you that are gathered here, these people that are my people, he says, I'm going to give you a commandment. You're going to love one another. He says, it's not just any sort of love. He says, it's just as I've loved you. Just as I've loved you, you are to love one another. And everyone will know by this that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Jesus Christ is looking at his followers and he knows that difficulty is on the horizon. He's trying to prepare them for life beyond his death. He knows that his disciples are about to face uh, frustration and persecution, uncertainty, anxiety, fear, even a death. And so he's looking at him and he says, I, I want to give you a foundation upon which to rest. I want to give you a foundation for how you're going to live, for who you're going to be. He says, this is how you're going to be known. This is how you will be known, by your love for one another. 
And you're going to love people just as you've been loved. That's the commandment. You're going to love just as you've been loved. There's no caveats. There's, there's no asterisk. There's no exception. There's no footnote at the bottom. It's like, well, love everyone except Jim. He knows what he did. Like, there's nothing like that. It's you're going to love just as you've been loved. That's the command. And that's what should make you stand out. Right? It says, this is how people will know that you're my disciples. This is going to be your defining characteristic. This is going to be your defining attribute. This is what you're going to embrace. This is what you're going to embody. This is what's going to make the people around you stop and stare and realize that you're different and realize that you're one of those Jesus followers. In other words, this is essentially his disciples, Aggie Whoop. If you go... Anywhere in this world, and you're with an Aggie, and something just like marginally good happens, what are you going to hear? There it is. That's it. I'm surprised people didn't whoop because other people were whooping. Just like, yep, whoop, that's good. Like that we, that's what we do. And and I'll tell you, it's incredible. The places that I've been, the the, the people that I've gotten to interact with, and and the rooms I've sat in that have no connection to A&M. And yet something will happen. Someone will be saying, okay, we're going to go ahead and start the conference right now. Whoop, 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 whoop. And they're just out there. And you're like, oh, my people. Like, you know they're there. <laughs> and you find each other afterwards and you're sad about football together. But you, you have these moments of realizing, wow, that's an Aggie. Right? That's our defining attribute. One of our defining attributes. It makes people stop. It, pay, it makes people recognize, okay, that, that, that person belongs to that camp. They're in that circle. Jesus Christ looks at his followers and says, you know what's going to define you? You know what's going to mark you to the world? It's your love. It, it's not your moral or political or socioeconomic alignment. It's not the way that you vote or the way that you spend your money. It's, it's not these different things. It says it's the way you love. That's what sets you apart. That's what marks you as my people. That you're loving others in the same way that you've been loved. That you're loving without limits. And this is hard. This is incredibly difficult. Because we naturally put limits on our love. As I've already said, we naturally we put limits on our love. Sometimes it's, it's based on our passion. Sometimes our passion limits our love. In other words, sometimes how I feel. Right? Because of things that have happened in my life or just maybe day to day, you have different feelings or different attitudes. And, and as that changes and as my feelings shift and, and move, sometimes we allow that to then determine how we love other people or who we love. Or we allow my personal passions, my personal feelings to dictate the love that I embody, the love that I display and that I extend to other people. Sometimes it's not necessarily just my internal passion. Sometimes it's external circumstances. Sometimes it's the problems that pop up in my life. Sometimes I feel like, well, no, like I, you know, I'm dealing with this issue or this happened to me or this person said this thing or this person did this thing or or things just kind of worked out in this way. And I gotta, I gotta worry about this situation. I got to take care of this project or I got to take care of this disaster. I got to kind of put out these fires before I have time or energy or focus to give towards these people or to love my spouse or my kids or my neighbors or my coworkers. I I can't worry about that because I got all this stuff. 
And we allow problems to limit the love that we extend. Sometimes it's even just the person, him or herself. Sometimes there's a person that we see because of something they said or something they did or the, where they come from or where they're going. We say, not you. And this is common and it's difficult. Jesus Christ, in speaking to his disciples at another point, he told them, look, this is going to be really hard to love certain people. Which is interesting because it's really easy to love other people. Right? It's easy to love someone who loves you back. If you went home and your significant other is, is standing there, your, your, your wife who's a, a free, copyright-free uh, stock photo model, uh, and you live in a mountain range. Uh, if you go home, and you see your wife, and she's holding out, it's, it's cold right now, so she's holding out a cup, a mug of hot cocoa. And she's like, I love you. Here's, a, here's cocoa of my love. I love cocoa. And I'd say, oh, that's great. It's awesome. It's easy to love that person, right, who loves you in return. It's a little bit more difficult to, to love someone who accidentally hurts you, right? Like if you go home to your mountain range and, and your wife's holding out the mug, but then all of a sudden it, she's trying to like give it to you, but also hug you at the same time and it drops and it breaks and there's cocoa, there's love cocoa on the floor or the grass because you live in the wilderness and she's sad about it. She's remorseful. She's like, oh, I'm so sorry that that happened. That's harder, right? It's, it's still not hard, but it's harder. You're like, oh, well, yeah, it's okay. You know, like we can work through this. We can work through the cocoa. Let's just get a paper towel or a squirrel or whatever and wipe it up. It's harder to love that person that accidentally, incidentally hurts you, but it's incredibly difficult. And the world might even say impossible to love someone who actively hates you. To someone who actively opposes you with their words or with their actions. If you showed up at your mountain home and there's no cocoa, there's just rage and <laughs> fire. Or there is cocoa. She's got a mug of cocoa, but as soon as you reach out for it, she smashes it on her hand. She goes, yeah! No love cocoa. Ever. That's hard. It would be hard to love that person. And yet when Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples, he says, you know what? The world loves its friends. Anybody can do that. He says, but you love your enemies. He says, you don't allow someone's background, someone's actions. You're not, you're not going to allow someone's uh, issues or behaviors. You're not going to allow those things to stop your love. Because you're going to love just as you've been loved. He says, you know what? I loved you even while you were my enemies. I died for you even while you were dead in your trespasses. Even when you were dead in open rebellion to the God who made you, the God who loved you. I, I still loved you and I came for you and I lived for you and I died for you. And I rose again to prove to you that my way is best. And sometimes we get this. And I'll tell you, when we do, the world is shocked. We've been reminded in the news recently of a tragedy that occurred in June of 2015 where a young man walked into a church gathering 
and where there was a Bible study and a prayer meeting, and he shot and killed nine people. And there's a, I mean, this guy was, uh, you know, unbalanced. He was, he was crazy. He was motivated by lots of stuff, but, but one of the big motivations was a racial divide. He was a white guy walking into an African-American church, and he shot these people and killed them. And a couple days after that, uh, there was a bond hearing for him. And, and it was the first time that any of the family members of the deceased, any of the, the family members of the victims were, were seen. They were kind of in the public eye. And so reporter, press people were there, and they were trying to ask him, like, hey, what's going on? How are, you, how are you feeling? How are you handling this? And what was incredible was the very first family member to stand up. She had lost her mother. Her mother had been murdered by this kid. And she said, and I quote, I forgive you. She said, fighting back tears as she addressed uh, the, the shooter at the June 19th, 2015 hearing. She says, I, I will never be able to hold her again, but I forgive you. She says, if God forgives you, I forgive you. I mean, people were shocked. Especially because after she spoke, another, you know, other family members began to go up and begin to give statements. And all of them were saying the same thing. It wasn't planned. It just happened. And it's to the point where even they recently, it's been in the news because the trial finally took place. He was convicted of lots and lots of stuff. And in the midst of the, the, the trial and the, the, the sentencing and all that stuff, they, they, the press is reconnected with a lot of these uh, family of victims. And so they went up to the same daughter, right, a year and a half later. And, and they asked her, they said, um, they asked her specifically, hey, do you still forgive the attacker? And she said, I do, without hesitation. I mean, when that happens... When that kind of statement is made, when that kind of love is extended, the world is shocked. Shocked. But imagine if that's the way that we loved every day. Where maybe there are people that, that have wronged us so deeply or, or traumatically. Maybe there's people that we can't quite trust again or yet. Maybe there's people that's not safe to be around, but we can still forgive them because God forgave them because Jesus Christ died for those wrongs, those sins. What if we really bought into this commandment to remove the limitations that we all put, that I put, man, on my own love? And I don't know what it is for you. It's it's different. I don't know if the limitations are are based on distance or time or or socioeconomic status or or background or belief or behavior. But Jesus Christ says, I want you to love the way you've been loved. I don't want you to love with these limitations. And he's, he's saying this repeatedly, in fact, to the point where he gets to John 15 and he's hammering it again. He says, remember, my commandment is this, to love one another just as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. I don't longer call you slaves because a slave does not understand what his master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have revealed to you everything I heard from my father. Jesus 
Jesus Christ says, I've loved you to the point where I will lay down my life for you. He says, that's the greatest love that will ever exist, that sacrifice. And Jesus Christ is the perfect embodiment of that. He laid down his life that we might live. He laid down his life so that the world might know that God loves them, that God wants relationship with them. That's our gospel, that Jesus Christ would step out of heaven and onto earth to live and die and rise again for our sake. So that if we trust in him, if we call on his name, if we believe in what he's done on our behalf, and we can have eternal life, we can have an eternal, joyous life with the God who made us. A relationship that begins now. A purpose that we can adopt. Jesus Christ is saying, you're my friends. You're not just people that I'm calling out, that I'm, I'm purchasing, and then just saying, hey, you just, you just kind of bide your time. Let, let, let me take care of stuff. He says, no, you are my friends, and I'm revealing to you purpose and plan and mission. He says, I'm not just going to buy you out and let you sit. I'm going to buy you out, and I'm going to give you a mission. I'm going to give you a purpose. I'm going to send you forward says, you're going to go out and you're going to love in the same way that you've been loved. You're going to love without limits. You're not just experiencing the love of God. He says, you're going to be extending it as well. He says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you to go to bear fruit, fruit that remains, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. And this I command you to love one another. He says, I chose you. You were dead in your trespasses, but I chose you and I grabbed you and I brought you to life. And I've told you, man, this is an appointment. This is where you should go. I have have fruit to bear. I have have a mission to be accomplished. I'm going to gather you to myself so that I can send you out. I'm going to bring you in and I'm going to send you out. I'm going to raise you up as leaders so that you can reach the world. There's a mission and there's a purpose. There's a movement Right? God's love, it, it creates a movement in our midst. And, and it starts by being external. Right? It, it moves out. And, and this is different from our natural inclination. Historical uh, theologians, they, they talk about the incurvature of the soul. Right? They, they talk about how the, the natural human condition is we will kind of curve in on ourselves. The way they say it is, is basically when Adam and Eve, they were looking at the Lord and they were in relationship with the Lord. And when that was broken, right, when they lost their taste for God, they, they turned away and they began to just curve in. And all of a sudden, these are the things I care about. This is where it takes my time. This is what takes my energy. This is what takes my thoughts. I'm thinking about what's going on right here. And I don't know if you hang out a lot uh, with two-year-olds, uh, but I live with one. Uh, she has taken up residence in my home. Uh, her name is Charlotte, and she's wonderful. She looks great in a purple sweater. Uh, but my goodness, this child is incurvatured. It, has, it, is, it is evident based on her life, deeds, and words. Uh, she... Any given moment of any given day is pretty much always focused on what she needs, on what she wants. She says, I want to, you know, I want to drink 
juice. I want to, you know, eat a snack. I want to watch a show show. I want to watch, not that show show. I want to watch Curious George. Uh Uh-uh, show show. That's the show show I want to watch in this moment. And if things are happening that she doesn't agree with, things are happening that she doesn't like, well, then she's upset. She says, no, this is wrong. The world is not as it should be. There should be a show show. There should be George. There should be uh uh-uh. And there should be juice in my hand. And what's interesting is as I watch this and as I try to parent her and love her and guide her, like, you know, you know, look, like, there's, a, there's different things in life uh, than George and, and Juice. Uh, but as I'm trying that, I realize as I'm getting frustrated, explaining the same things over and over and over again, trying to help her look outside of herself, I realize I'm like, you know what? I kind of want to watch a show show right now. I would, I would love some juice. Juice would be really good right now. Probably coffee juice, but, you know, still. And I realize as I'm parenting, as I'm interacting with her, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, you're like, you're just like saying what I'm thinking. Like, I, I just have, I have the advantage of years of conditioning uh, and filters set up to where I don't just walk in the room and say, juice, and I just want it. I've learned to control myself, but I'm like, you know what? In my heart of hearts, like deep down, that's, that's what I am. That's what I want. Curious George, like he knows what's up. Like I love that guy. Like I do want to watch those things. And the reality is that even in my life, as I get, I'll get frustrated and I'll lash out at people because I'm not getting what I want when I want it. Because I'm not feeling good about this decision or that thing or this direction or whatever it might be. And I see myself in this two-year-old. I think, my goodness. <laughs> God still loves me. Not only that, but he still has purpose for me. Our God is willing to look at these incurvatured individuals and say, you know what? There's so much more. There's something so much better. I've got a direction you can go, a movement you can join, because there are people out there who are still looking in, and all they see and all they know and all they'll ever know is death. So I need you to go. I need you to talk to them. I need you to love them the way that you've been loved. He's got this movement where the direction is outward. He's got this movement where the duration is eternal. That's what's so incredible. The, the, the reality is that, I mean, our, our movements that we come up with on our own, they never last, right? Like the, 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 the big position that we were gunning for, the GPA we wanted to secure, the relationship that we just wanted to get right, those elements, while maybe they are good and they can bring glory to the Lord, those things are not the end-all, be-all of our existence because all of those things, they're going to end, Those things don't last. Those movements will eventually stop. But the Lord says, I have a movement that has an eternal impact. There are souls of people all around you. And I've chosen you to be my child. And I'm choosing right now to use you to reach those people to love those people, to extend to those people the love that I've already shown you, that you've already experienced. He's inviting us to move beyond ourselves. And it's an invitation 
that we should always be extending as well. His love, it creates this invitation because we're in the midst of something that's incredible. And so we should just naturally want to bring other people into it. That's why people in Jesus' day, people that were far from God, wanted to be near to Jesus. Because he wasn't just giving instructions for a new religion. He was giving an invitation to a relationship. And he had people that did the same. He had leaders that did the same. He raised up, started out with 12 dudes. And that was their ministry. They were inviting people to be a part of what they were doing. That's the movement we can be a part of. That's the movement we can join. Because when you've got something awesome, and you, you want to bring other people in. Earlier this fall, there was a, a, a tale circulating uh, about an Uber driver who, who worked in Chicago, and he was picking up these guys from the airport, and he was taking them to Wrigley Field. And the guys were all decked out and, you know, Cubs gear and all this stuff. And he's like, oh, man, that's, that's awesome. You guys go going to the game. I take it. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're, we're really excited. Uh, there's some, I don't know, special baseball game. And, and he was like, oh, great. That's, man, I wish, oh, man, I wish I could be there with you. Sounds really fun. You know, just kind of the thing you say to people uh, in, you know, just without thinking about it. And the guys were like, oh, okay, yeah. He's like, wait, wait. They're like, yeah, come. we have an extra ticket. We had another buddy. He bailed. You, you should come with us to the game. And the guy was like, uh, okay. And so they went to the baseball game together. After riding together in the car, he's like, all right, let's go. Now, I'm not promoting this life decision uh, because... They're all still strange, like they're strangers. I, I mean, I don't know. It worked out. Um, but there's something incredible about people that are always inviting. Something uh, attractive about that. People that are always say, hey, you know, you should, you should come and, and be a part of this. You should, you should join this community that I'm part of. You should join this organization I'm a part of. You, you, should, you should come go to this school that I go to. Go to these things that I attend. You should go to the, see that movie with me. Like you need to come with me to be a part of that Thing. And Jesus Christ is looking at his followers as that's who you're going to be. That's who you need to be. You're going to be people who are constantly inviting others to be a part of what you're a part of. You're going to be constantly inviting people to be a part of this relationship, part of this community that I'm forming for you. This community that has been formed, that is based upon the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This community that is looking to the God who saved them. This group that looks to God first and each other second. This group that owns the great commandment to love God, to love people. This group that owns the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. He says, that's who you're going to be. You're going to be a people that are always inviting. So who are you inviting into your community? Who are you inviting to be a part of God's family? Who is it in your life that you could be inviting if you're not? See, the truth is that in two weeks, we're going to have about 3,000 people here. Okay, in two weeks, students are back. We'll have about 3,000 people at Grace Anderson. Just our Anderson campus. Between here, across the street, youth, children, all that stuff. About 3,000 people. And that's a lot of people. Right? Like, if you were trying to, like, cook dinner for that many people, you'd be like, no, nope, it's too many people. Call Chick-fil-A. Like, let's, let's, let's figure something else. I don't. It's a lot of people. Uh, but the reality is that in Bryan and College Station alone, uh, we have about 265,000 people. All right, so that means that we've got about 3,000 people showing up. That means we've got 262,000 people 
that aren't. 110,000-ish College Station, about 80,000, Brian, got about 75,000 students, non-residents. About 262,000 people. And we can't fit that many people in these doors, let alone in our parking lot, but definitely not in these doors. So what do we do? We go to them, right? We gather, but then we, we go. We go. Now, are all of those people non-believers? Absolutely not. Some of them are wonderful believers, God-fearing people. But I would argue that the vast majority of them don't have the love for God that you have. Don't have the relationship with God that you have. Many of them have never even heard the gospel. So what would it look like if we as a people, if we as a church realized, hey, you know what? We can be equipping Christians to engage our community. We can be discipling disciple makers. We can be multiplying multipliers. Jesus Christ, he raised up. He started with 12 guys. We've got 3,000. It was really good. He started with 12 guys and he raised them up. He says, I'm going to raise you as leaders and I'm going to send you out to reach the world. This is our mission. This is our goal. That we would raise up next generation leaders to reach the world for Christ. We are called as a church to raise leaders to reach the world. So what does that look like for us? Have you bought into that mission? Are you a part of that purpose? Are you part of that movement? It should be moving us. Man, it should be moving our our hearts. And it should be moving our minds. And it should move our hands and our feet and our mouths. We should be moving and living differently in light of the mission that Jesus Christ has given us. This commandment that he gave us. To love just as we've been loved. To love without limits. He says, I want you to go to these people. And for us today, it's going to play out in a lot of different ways. We can first and foremost gather, right? We're doing that right now. That's awesome. We gather together to hear from the word, to, to grow in our knowledge of the Lord. We gather and, and we hopefully are inviting people to be a part of that. We bring other neighbors and coworkers and friends and family members. We say, hey, you should come with me to this marriage event. You should come with me to this coffee social to, to meet other people and join a community where we can be known, not just a face in the pew, but, but a person in a living room who's known and loved and challenged and encouraged. We want to gather together. We want to give together. We see needs in our midst. We have kids in our nursery. We've got youth kids and college kids across our street. We've got adults. We've got needs in our midst right here, right now. And we say, you know what? I'm not just going to gather. I'm going to give towards those things. I'm going to give my time and my energy and my resources so that people can feel the tangible benefits of the love of Christ. No matter who they are, no matter where they're from, no matter where they're going. I'm going to give in that way. We gather and we give and then we go. We'll have a table in the foyer. Zach talked about about perspectives where you get to just see, man, this is what the Lord's doing in our world. It's incredible. It's incredible to be reminded. So helpful to be reminded that God is not American. That God loves all people. He wants all tongues, all tribes, all nations to worship him. It is so beneficial to go and hear those stories, to have your perspective shifted, because what that does is it begins working in your heart to where you're willing to move, not just to a room for three hours a week, but so that you'll go overseas. 
You can go out into our foyer today and you can find out about opportunities we have for summer missions where we are sending people with the gospel to people who need to hear it in contexts and circles, in nations and in cultures that maybe we are, you would be very unfamiliar with. But we're called to love without limit. So I'm not going to let some boundary or border or language gap, I'm not going to let those things stop the love that I'm going to extend because I've experienced that love and I know it's the best thing ever. Who's going to reach 265,000 people in Bryan College Station? Who's going to reach the 700-something million people in America? Who's going to reach the, the 7 billion people in our world? I'll tell you, it's going to be leaders who are extending love without limits. That's who can do it. That's who God uses. And we need to remember as we're moving and as we're going that it's all made possible because of Jesus Christ. Right? This isn't just a white knuckle, grin and bear, make it happen. This is a, we need to be humbly going before the Lord, recognizing our own inability. That's why this morning we're taking communion. As we gather together, we, we, we want to pause and we want to remember what Christ has done. That's what communion is. It's an opportunity for us to just stop, to listen, to remember that Jesus Christ died that we might live, that Jesus Christ lived the way that we are called to also live, that Jesus Christ rose so that we know that we're not just united with him in his burial, but we're united with him in his resurrection. That we're chasing a point on the horizon that's so much further, that's so much greater than we could ever imagine in this broken existence. And that's the hope that we tell others about. That's the love that we are extending. So as we prepare to take communion, as we prepare to just have a moment of remembrance of what Christ has accomplished, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken to us in Scripture. That, God, that you have given us an incredible uh, just knowledge of who you are. And, Lord, we thank you that it's not just a knowledge, Lord, it's not just words on a page, but, Lord, this is, this is the product of a spirit, of your spirit, God, who is currently at work in our midst, in our hearts, in our lives, in the lives of those around us. So God, we just ask that we would be sensitive to your spirit. That he would be able to grab a hold of our hearts and our minds. That we wouldn't be calloused. That we wouldn't be hardened. That we'd be open to hear where he wants us to go. To hear who he wants, to see who he wants us to gather. To see how he wants us to give. If you would, take a moment right now and as we begin to, to, to take the elements, please just ask the Lord, God, show me what's next for me. God, what's my next step in this mission? God, is it to join a community, to invite others to be a part of community with me, to start a community? God, is it to, to serve you in a new way, in a new environment? to give of myself just as you gave it all that I might live? Or is it, God, is it, a, is it a step towards going to be a part of a perspectives class or to, to get some information and just begin thinking and praying about going overseas for a week or a couple weeks or whatever it might be? 
Ask the Lord in this time, as we pass the place, just ask the Lord, God, stir that within my heart. God, show me what's next.